0: Good morning. I'm Donna Quinn. And for the next half hour, you'll be listening to Talk of Our Towns. Today, we will be talking about the Fisher Poets Gathering, and we will be talking with a fisherwoman, fisher poet, who will be performing, has performed in the past at Fisher Poets Gathering. The Fisher Poets Gathering happens the last weekend of February. It has been since 1998, so it's the 22nd year this year, 2020. In the studio today, I have Marilyn Dreher, Marilyn is a fisherwoman. Good morning, Marilyn.
1: Good morning.
0: Very glad to have you here today. I know you're a fisher poet. We're going to hear some of your fisher poetry in a little bit, too. But um, first, for those folks who maybe aren't familiar with the Fisher Poets Gathering, which, again, has been happening the last week of February since 1998. Um, It was originally conceived as a modest kind of cultural reunion for, you know, friends in the fishing community from the commercial fishing fleet. Um, And now it attracts nearly like 100 poets, songwriters, and storytellers from both the West and the East Coast commercial fishing communities. And all of these folks gather in Astoria's pubs, restaurants, and galleries. They read for each other, and they read for hundreds of Fisher Poetry fans who come to hear the authentic, creative voices of deckhands and skippers and cannery workers and shipwrights, young greenhorns and old-timers, strong women and good-looking men. So the Fisher Poets Gathering, it's been featured in media both nationally and internationally from the New York Times, Smithsonian Magazine, the Wall Street Journal, NBC to the BBC, and others. In fact, the U.S. Library of Congress has recognized the Fisher Poets Gathering as a local legacy project, and the event has spawned a genre, Fisher Poetry, that fans of occupational poetry might hear in towns like Kodiak, Alaska, New Bedford, Port Townsend. Fisher Poets perform music poetry and prose Friday and Saturday evenings between 5 and 11 at Astoria venues that include Astoria Brewing Company, formerly the Wet Dog, the Voodoo Room, the 1015 Theater, Fort George Brewery's Level Showroom, the Columbian Theater, Kala Performance Gallery, and the Liberty Theater. And in addition to the gathering, workshops include uh, Friday afternoon um, and Saturday. Um, workshops are at the Columbia River Maritime Museum's Barbie Center, the Barbie Maritime Center, and at Clotsip Community College's Patriot Hall, and at Pier 39 on subjects as varied as fish printmaking, fishing methods old and new, perfecting writing and performing, protecting Bristol Bay's watershed, exploring shipwrecks and practicing knot tying and line splicing and more. And then later Saturday afternoon, Fisher Poets offer fans and each other their colorful, colorful oral histories at the popular story circle. Singing Circles, Open Mics at Winecraft, Visual Art by Fisher Poets at Galleries in Town, Coast Community Radio broadcasts both nights from the Liberty. So hope that you all will participate in this marvelous event. And now let's talk with my guest, Marilyn, about how she became a fisherwoman and then a fisher poet. Marilyn, where were you born? Let's let's start from the very beginning, please.
1: Well, I grew up in Seattle, Washington in a neighborhood that put me a block away from a park that actually had a salmon stream running in it. And so I was exposed to salmon as a young girl, and it was one of those paths that we used to bicycle down, and we'd see the splashing salmon, and then every fall they'd have a fishing opening in Lake Washington. And the guys would be seining right off our beach house at the Mount Baker Park.
0: Explain seining for people who don't know the word.
1: Okay, Saning is a two-boat special. It's a larger vessel that has a, generally a block or a drum that they bring the net up through, and it has a skiff that pulls the end of the net to make a circle. And then it's called a persane because there's a stringy thing at the bottom that goes through rings that are set into the net to draw the bottom of the net together. And then the skiff comes and brings the top of the net to the bigger boat, and they purse it up, and then they gather the net together into literally a purse and plop the fish on deck.
0: So that was happening right where you were growing up? Yeah. And you were fascinated by?
1: Well, the boats and the noise and the fun stuff. I mean we, we were really close to where the hydroplane pits are in Seattle and they're noisy and a lot of fun on their own, but sailing was pretty fascinating because actually you you could take your little sailing dinghy out there and the guys would pitch you a fish if you flirted with them. It was really fun when you're a 12-year-old little girl out there in your sailboat.
0: Did you see any women fishermen or were you were they mostly men? Um
1: Mostly men, I think there might have been one couple where the the wife was on board with a with a crew, and she's usually the one who would toss us a fish and nicely enough, it was generally gutted. My sailing buddy and a mine from Girl Scouts, we had sailboats on Lake Washington there, and we used to go out and just be curious so what are you sa- doing
0: sailing was in your blood then you, you...
1: oh yeah, I had already been sailing okay since I was nine or ten, but...
0: <laughs> but then fishing somehow attracted you.
1: Well, yeah, it was a kind of a carrot, which came along much later in life, because I, uh, up to high school, I went to art school in Seattle, and one of the things I did to make a living is I worked in sail lofts doing piecework and working in net lofts doing piecework.
0: Means you were mending fishnets?
1: Making fishnets or mending fishnets, yeah. With for... what kind of material? Um... Generally, web, you know, just an, and needles and sewing and learning how to do the knots and that sort of thing.
0: Is that work kind of zen work, or is it really hard on your hands? Because I think that can beat your hands up, can it?
1: Um, over the years, although I know I have a girlfriend who's been hanging nets for well over fifty years, and she's still at it. But it is very zen when you're um in a rhythmic pattern, especially hanging gill nets. It's a repeated. Knot, snap, tie, knot, snap, tie, knot, snap, move it. Yeah, it's quite, can be very zen.
0: And then how did you move from um, creating fishnets to fishing?
1: Well, I found myself in Bellingham. I work in as a scrimshander and had a studio in uh, top of the Herald building and a friend of mine, Uh, his sister was supposed to come out to go fishing with him from the other Washington and she didn't make it and so he was looking for a deckhand cook and he knew I knew boats and so he was flirting with me anyway and kind of asked me to be their crew so that's what my story is about later.
0: Oh, okay. Excellent. All right. And so then you... um, you Okay, you took that job, and that, of course, led to lots of the other things, and you're going to read something that you've written about that. Um, is this the appropriate time to read that, or do you want to wait until later? Do you want to tell us some fishing stories or we how you can, got involved with Fisher Poets Gathering? Whatever you wish.
1: Well, we, you know, that led to other fishing adventures and hanging more nets and really got into the net hanging, the gillnet hanging thing and ended up tendering and ended up... Uh, getting a job in Bristol Bay, doing um, herring, and then between herring and salmon, hanging nets was actually more profitable than some of the fishing was. (laughs) Sometimes if you get on a boat, you end up owing food and fuel at the end of the trip if you have a guy who doesn't know where to go. (laughs) But that's just, you know, it's part of the business, and I always did quite well hanging gear. And I ended up um, tendering,
0: and maybe people don't know what tender uh, means.
1: Tender is a boat that goes and picks up the fish from the fishing boats that have them in their hold or the the after the opening is closed. They have specific timed openings for fishing, and then the fishing boats go to the tender, and they weigh and... Mm, Separate the fish, depending on types, and then that tender then takes it to the processor to be processed,
0: so the fishing boat can stay out in the ocean it, it, fishing
1: in, right or in in the field sort in to speak. the fi- in the field it, fishing it's sort of out out in your own field sort of thing okay, and um yeah, but that's the tender's job, and I fetched up doing that for quite a while and um I ended up uh running a tender myself couple years later and um just as a sideline when we weren't uh when they were fishing and we weren't tendering, I would take a pilot from a processor to a tramp or tramp steamer and they would bring the tramp ship, which is like a cargo ship like you get coming in out of here all the time. But they're usually only two and three hatchers that that can get into smaller shallow areas and at that point i'd already been doing some tugboat work and meet off season and that sort of thing and the um, pilots approached me that fall when i was at the fish expo in seattle with the women's maritime association group we used to always have a booth there that's another whole story But they approached me to help them do a pilot boat, so they wanted me to be a crew on a pilot boat for them. That ended up being the first pilot boat uh, on western Alaska in the early 80s, and uh, it was the Lodestar, and it went on from there.
0: It sounds like you loved it almost right away.
1: Oh, yeah. I had already gotten a, a minor license at that point. It was a small 100-ton license and um I actually worked on getting my merchant marine documents and stuff because I had worked on tugboats you're required to have merchant marine documents.
0: And again, the training that you had for this or other women in the field, how did that work?
1: Oh, well, it it was interesting because when I was tendering, I would um I'd Moved to Alaska at that point, and I came down to take some classes at the school in Ballard on refrigeration and engineering aspects of it, because I was going to be running a tender that had old-style refrigeration ammonia system, and I it kind of scared me, and so I wanted to learn about it, and so I came down to Seattle and stayed with my parents and went to school for three months to take these courses in engineering and stuff, so I had more confidence running the boat. And that's just kind of step by step. Was it,
0: uh, well, people think fishing and running a tender, that's, it's hard work, and it's, uh, and when the fish are running, you're working all the time.
1: Yeah, you don't, you don't get, um, you don't get an eight-hour work day, no. <laughs> you're, Especially if you're um, running a uh, tender, you are going back and forth, and your only time off, basically, is when the fleet is fishing, you get a couple, you know, a few hours downtime once you make it back to the grounds from the the processor.
0: Were people helpful to you uh, along the way?
1: Um, yes and no. It's, it's always been, a, you know, it was definitely a challenge back then, but... As a woman, I find you were more of a novelty back then, and if you proved your salt, so to speak, they gave you the respect. You you had to earn it, but they gave it to you.
0: What did you love the most about it?
1: I'm an adventure junkie, <laughs> and being in the wild, and the and the um, being so close to nature, being, you know bashing your way through the ice, going from Togiak to Norton Sound and hanging out in Yulin able to go up the Shaktulik River and do some fly fishing for Char where the guys are all fishing. And I can go do my fly fishing. I, I was having a good time.
0: Were you creating art at this point as well? Oh, yes.
1: Oh, yes. I had um, a gallery in Dutch Harbor that sold a lot of my pieces and went in Anchorage
0: And when did you retire from this? Because now you're a fisher poet and you were a fisherwoman or involved in, in, well, let's talk about the women in the maritime industry a little bit, because there was an organization that you were part of.
1: Yes, we're um, kind of loosely formed organization that actually formed an organization in 1980 and that's still loosely organized because most people, especially women that are offshore, don't, you know, they're. You're in port when you're in port, and when you're not in port, you're not in port. That's deep-sea life that a lot of gals lead. But there are quite a few fisherwomen who were some of the originators, too, and Mosness being a notable one. And Jackie Goodsir, who just passed over this year. She was another one of the originals. And um, we for, had a loosely formed association so we could mentor each other and give each other pointers and buck up and... Tell We have lovely stories about uh, there was a bartender at the bar at Fisherman's Terminal before it was modernized, um, and his name was Chick. And you would, if you wanted a fishing job, you'd go and talk to Chick, and you'd say, okay, yada, yada, on such and such boat, uh, wants me to be crew, and what's he like, let me know. And, and Thursday afternoon, girls' happy hour between 2 and 4, he would let you know whether this guy had a reputation or not and it was a really you know we had quite of a little click of our own backdoor kind of thing ways to figure out who was worth um going fishing with and who wasn't.
0: Oh, that's good. We need inside information sometimes like that. <laughs> if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Talk of Our Towns. I'm your host, Donna Quinn, and today I'm talking with Marilyn Dreher. Marilyn is a fisherwoman. Um, she actually just retired. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and she's a fisher poet. She'll be performing at the Fisher Poets Gathering. Um, when did you stop fishing or being involved with the maritime industry full-time?
1: Well, I went... Um, I did a lot of in Alaska, I lived in Seward, Alaska, and I did the pilot boat business, and it was, the pilot boat service was bought by several different corporations over the year, and I went with the service. And so I had a dive and salvage outfit I worked with, and I worked on research boats, and I did tug runs and did yacht deliveries and sailboat adventures across the oceans, even to Russia. But... Um, I I came back down to Washington to take care of my aging mother and, you know, 20 years ago or so and I uh, ended up getting a call out through the Union Hall to go to work on the Washington State Ferries and, you know, I had a Elderly dog and some hips that were going, and I so I stuck with it and I retired from the ferry system a couple years ago.
0: All right, Uh, and you came to Fisher Boats Gathering last year and they pushed you up on the stage. What happened?
1: Well, I've been working with Jamie Boyd on the um, the the Fisher Silent Auction, the Silent auction. Auction, um, for several years. Uh, we I had been donating stuff, and coming down, a uh, fellow fisherwoman friend of mine, Captain Anna Young, brought me down the year after I had my hip fixed. And uh, they used me for a prop. They put me in a wheelchair and so we could get to the front end of the venues. And I, I just had so much fun doing that. I've come down every year since. But I was donating something to the silent auction, and Jamie's sister recognized me from Bellingham from the 70s. And it turns out we all worked in the same net loft together for Larry Tusingon, and the Red Nets um, trawl Loft. And so we had um, it's been fun ever since and I've come and volunteered with Jamie and I was working on the setup last year and they were missing a performer, couldn't make it, so All the girls, the three sisters and another friend from Bellingham all pointed at me and went, Marilyn, I'll do it. And I go, oh, no. Okay. So I became a storyteller.
0: All right. Marilyn became a storyteller. Well, let's hear a story, Marilyn.
1: Okay. This is the one I told last year. And it was a short notice story. But it's kind of fun. This is a Bolt decision. Summer of 77. Uh, Judge Bolt made... uh, decision to allow the native peoples of to have 50% of the commercial catch and it rattled some of the people a lot one of them which was this character Warren Hansen who owned the boat I was working on okay bolt decision summer 77 or one of the best birthdays of my life working on the justice one of Warren Hansen's boats, old wooden, block seiner fishing out of Blaine Washington with Peter Green and crew A block seiner is the type of seiner that works smaller areas and they use block which so the net goes up out of the water through a large block and then down on the deck as opposed to a drum seiner which is Canadian style or old Puget Sound style where they have a big drum on deck and wheel it up Anyway, Peter's sister was to come out from the other Washington to cook, but met someone on the train who was more interested more interesting than a brother, so she didn't make it. So I was given the opportunity to go fishing three or four days a week in the daytime, so I could keep working in my studio on top of the Herald building in Bellingham. Why not? What a summer. Of course I got to cook but also knew how to turn a wrench. My dad had given me my first set of sockets for my 16th birthday, much to my mother's chagrin. Showed me how to use them too. This was diesel mechanics, hydraulics network and wooden boat re- patching crash course. Toward the end of August, the infamous Warren Hanson, also running for Congress and looking for publicity, hello news choppers, was out in Friday Harbor protesting Judge Bolt's decision with a contingency of followers and their fishing boats seining the ferry. Pete and crew had been working on a refit of a Marco steel skiff and were busy putting an old engine in our vintage plywood one while I was putting a long tapered end in a net. Looking at the weather for an excuse, high pressure in the northeasters that formed the lumps in the Straits of Georgia, Pete said no, not going there with this old wood saner. Besides, the Adams River run was due at any moment. That's a fishing run notorious out of the Fraser River area in Canada that is full of beautiful blue salmon. So there we are the next day at Point Roberts on my birthday, the only block boat with a newly tapered end beach setting when they hit. What a scene. Blue backs as far as you could see. Pursed the first set and deck loaded. Dry scout tender came to us. Slid in for set number two and the orcas showed up. Hundreds of them. Yep, used to be more than two pods in the sound. They probably came down from Canada and outside too. They knew when the big runs hit. I had the pleasure of being skiff man that day. My birthday present, thanks Pete. He's pushing me further into the beach, stretching out that long tapered end as the orcas are running through the sets on the drum boats, five sets out, clear to the Canadian line. I'm pushing that skiff harder down the beach, hanging on for dear life, wood chips flying, watching as those bluebacks just circle around and down the taper and into the set. Now that was a round haul. What a blessing our tender was right there because we had more fish in that one set than we had all summer. It was a beautiful, all-bright, blueback sockeye, not a slimy to be found, no red jellies, just a really beat-up old skiff. It's last run, that was. Herman was given a proper Viking burial that weekend. We'll always remember Pete, the Chesapeake Bay boy, for his fishing instinct and giving me the best-paid birthday of my life.
0: All right. So that's what you read when you were just uh, kind of forced onto the stage last year. And now you have a poem that you uh, are going to read uh, this year, I think.
1: Well, th- this was this was a poem that I did, uh, you know, that's, that was 1977 when I was fishing. And the year I retired, 2017, was a murder of crows from out of the sky, cross pilot house windows flying by. Gleanings off the beach, a mere glint in their eye. Oh, mollusks, where do you hide on the outgoing tide? All right. That's from a f- pilot house I used to work in at 65 feet above the water. <laughs> and so we got a good view of everything going on.
0: Were there times when you were afraid? Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. what did you do about that? Were, were some of those experiences like and how did you comfort yourself because especially as a woman sometimes you know maybe you had to think you had to be I don't know a different way because you're with all the guys somehow
1: oh yeah you have to have to have your share of bravado you can't let them see you puking in the corner if you're still getting familiar with the roll of a boat but um yeah there's, there's been some times where uh, I've earned my gray hairs well, actually,
0: your hair today is blue, and oh. it looks beautiful it's it's a it's a lovely shade of blue, so that's great. so you know we are actually uh only we only have a few minutes left I, I I'm amazed I don't know what happened at the time. I've just been fascinated by your stories, but is there something else you'd like to read or talk about for a few minutes?
1: well, i want to let everybody know if they have anything to donate to the um
0: the silent, silent auction.
1: auction. It would be very much appreciated because all the monies we make go to stipends for helping the Fisher Poets get here, who are coming from long distances away.
0: And how should people do that? They can. You can Google Fisher Poets Gathering. You can go to the website, and there's information how mm-hmm. to reach Jamie Boyd or people or you to donate to the silent auction.
1: That's affirmative, and if even if it's a last moment thing, if you're just coming with you. Can bring it to the gear shack and donate it right there. We'll have paperwork for you to fill out.
0: Oh, that's a great idea. Good.
1: But yeah. We, we're we're accepting all comers. All right. And I do have a fun little poem that I wrote uh, staying out at La Push on the coast. I love to go out there during storms with my pastels and enjoy the weather. This is Driftwood Bones. Standing at an angle, head bowed away from the shore. Knuckle bones, hip joints, humerus, femurs, and more. Crashing and bashing, not without rhythm, but with a roar. Blood moon-tinted crests. Stirring archaeological evidence of forests gone before.
0: Hmm. Oh, thank you for reading that. And what do you miss about that life?
1: Um... I th- when I first started working on the ferries, I knew there was something really missing from the whole thing, and that was the weather. I know it seems strange or not. No, you but miss the weather. I w- miss the weather. I miss running from the Pribilos to Dutch Harbor, towing an old crippled boat, and having to, like, tack to the swells and the wave tops, and, you know, there's just, just the sheer girl water junkie i guess yeah <laughs> right
0: no with the elements really yeah. being right there a front row seat and interacting with right you know the natural world in that way
1: having to watch the barometer and know what the isobar chart says you know it's a funny thing that you don't do that anymore but i still find adventure
0: uh, i i would think that's in your genes that's in your dna for sure um thank you so much for being here today marilyn Really appreciate you making time.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Support the fishermen.
0: Support the commercial fishermen. Support Fisher Poets Gathering. And again, you can find out more information if you go to the Fisher Poets Gathering uh, website. And there is also a way for you to volunteer. And again, a call out for those silent auction items. Thank you again, Marilyn. I will see you at Fisher Poets Gathering. And Marilyn is the one with the beautiful blue hair. Um, so, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I want to thank Dylan Hausershawk for being the engineer today, and my gratitude to local talented banjo instructor Michael Bruin for his original theme music for this program. Until next week, find a moment for yourself. In fact, let's take that moment right now and let's all take a very deep breath. <sighs> it is so good for body, mind, and spirit. And then with gratitude, focus on the things that are working in your life. There will always be things that aren't working, but focus with gratitude on the things that are, and then give yourself a loving and a compassionate hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you, for doing the best you can, because everybody really is, and for being here now in the only moment that exists, the now moment on the amazing planet we call Earth.